The sound of that tractor means it's time for us to go to work. Welcome to the Give Us the Dirt podcast powered by Hoopa Grading Company. My name is Brandon. This is my co-host, Bam Bam, and we are your host. So today we've got a friend of mine, Henry Batten. Henry, you looking for a concrete mixer truck on the wall? (laughs) All of our stuff's yellow. We don't have any mixer trucks. We need to get a mixer truck. Yeah, we need a mixer. Henry, thanks for thanks for being with us today. So, we were just talking about the podcast, and this is you you've done one of these before. Is this your second podcast? Yes. Well, you're natural. That's about the same number you yeah, doing. Yeah, we're we're right there neck and neck, buddy. Yeah. So, Henry, you are how long? You are president of Concrete Supply. Yes. How long have you been with Concrete Supply? Uh twenty five years almost. I started in ninety eight. And um, in July, 98. Okay. And I don't think I knew this about you. Uh, I, I always thought you were from Alabama. I always knew you as a big Alabama fan, but you you actually raised in Arizona. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was born in Georgia but raised in Arizona. And um, when I went to uh, – when I got out of college and started working, I moved east – Gradually, I stopped in Kansas City, and then I spent some time in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then in uh, Birmingham and Montgomery, Alabama, before I came to Charlotte. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I went to Arizona State undergrad, and that's a golf school or baseball school. It's not a football school. Right. You figure out the football schools when you get to the southeast. Yeah. And Alabama was a football school, which I found out quickly. Yeah. You know, you got to figure out your allegiance when you get to the state of Alabama quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you pick. Yeah, yeah. You're one or the other. It's kind of like you, right? You yeah. you had to pick it. This is a Clemson guy. Well, I like Clemson, too, because of Dabo. Yeah, yeah. Alabama Dabo. guy. Well, that's one of those states, just like Alabama. You you either Gamecock or you're a Tiger. Yeah. You, yeah. So you were you were Alabama. You uh you went to school there too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I went to graduate school there. Yeah. When they won the what was it, the Sugar Bowl national championship against Miami, George Teague ran the guy down, stripped the ball. Yeah. Yep. And Alabama won the game. What year was that? Ninety ninety two season. And you were there? I started the day after that game on campus and the campus was just littered cups and trash everybody was out with party all night that's awesome started the yes the day after because i think the game was either saturday or sunday and then we went for orientation on monday morning and it was fun gene stallings was the coach and um it it was a big time in alabama there because they had been awful for since bear bryant died that's funny so i i I've known Henry a long time from my days at Martin Marietta. And here as Clemson and Alabama started making their runs together, we would pass each other at times on our way down to national championship games. And one of us would come back with our head hanging low. (laughs) Yeah, after we lost at Tampa, uh, we were in the parking lot. Brandon, I can't remember who you were with, but Brandon came Said, we can't get an Uber. I said, well, get in. We'll take you to where we're going. 
<laughs> that was a long night. And I had to uh, listen to his crap. <laughs> they did beat us, though. Oh, that's bloody. That was, uh, was that Deshaun Watson? That was Deshaun. That was Deshaun. Yeah. Hunter Renfro. Yeah, that guy was just. Well, Henry, after you, uh, so you didn't start at Concrete Spot. Where you? No, I started with APAC, which is now Old Castle, but um, they were a heavy highway construction. And so most of my stuff with them was like uh, my background of education was in accounting. And um, when I graduated, I mean, this is too early for you, but uh, Reagan, President Reagan, had just passed this new tax act. And when people were hiring accountants, um, which was not something I wanted to be, but I had to do it to graduate. Um, it was all to be in taxes, like a CPA would would get into taxes. And I was like, that's the absolute furthest thing I could be doing. I'm not a tax guy. And um, and so I went into industry and um, started with APAC and then moved with them three or four times, wound up in Charlotte. But most of the time it was like being sent to uh, – not so much fix things, but evaluate, you know, the business, the people, the performance, all that stuff. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, you learn a lot doing that because you're just kind of being thrown to the wolves. And and you, as, as a, there's a phrase I coined a long time ago, well, it was, it was back in 2008, was that we were just going to fail forward. They old forward. And that's what I've been doing a lot of in my career is failing forward. I love that. Yeah. I love that because, I mean, you're learning from your mistakes. Oh, yeah. But you're moving forward. Exactly. That's pretty good there. So you always had a knack of being able to move into a uh, a war zone. I had a knack, but I got thrown into it. Like, yeah. I'll tell you how I got to Alabama. Um, I was... I was in Kansas City at the time, and I get this phone call back then. You know, they had the little pink sheets, or somebody took the message, handed you that, and you walked in. And they said, um, you know, call this individual in Atlanta, Georgia, where their corporate office was. So I called him up, and he said, um, he said, Henry, we've got a problem in Alabama. We need you to go there. And I said, okay, well, how long am I going to be there? And he said, no, we need you to move there. And at the time, you know, I was recently married, but, you know, maybe three or four years. And my wife had just gotten a full ride to UMKC in the dental school, going to become a dental hygienist. And I'm sitting there, and I hang up the phone, and I'm thinking, well, how am I going to explain this? <laughs> yeah. Honey, I'm going to need you to sit down for this. So I told the guy, I said, well, let me go on and let me let me talk to my wife. And the guy said, okay, well, just call me as soon as you can in the morning. And this was on a Friday. And so the morning was actually, he intended it to be Monday. And about an hour goes by and I get another phone call. And it was from a colleague and almost like a mentor for me. And he said, um, he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to show up on Sunday 
in Montgomery, Alabama. And this, this guy's name is Hank. And I said, well, Hank, I said, buddy, I, you know, I still got to go home and talk to my wife. And Hank, I'll never forget this. Hank said, Henry, you might want to understand something. Your next paycheck's going to be in Montgomery, Alabama. You might want to be there to pick it up. Wow. And Wow. Yeah. And so before I went home, I called, because back then you didn't really have the internet. I called every school that I could find in the state of Alabama through the operator to figure out which school had a dental program. I got the dental program. The lady that ran the dental hygiene program was the former director at UMKC, the school my wife just got accepted to. I told her the whole story. She said, I'll accept her. Oh, she could come to the school. Well, you fixed that problem, but you still had no, to I talk. Had to to explain. <laughs> right. So you, so you did all this before I got home. Before you, yeah. okay. Before I got home. And then I called the guy uh, that night that said, it, I'm going to meet you Sunday in, in Montgomery. And I said, I come in on Delta flight. Whatever. <laughs> and I'll see you Sunday night. And so that's how I got to Alabama. Those are tough conversations. I, I know Elizabeth, my wife, she, I, I remember having those conversations before. Most times I'd come in and I'd set a six pack right here and say, this, we got to talk. Yeah. And she knew that. Yeah. That time I had her, I told her that we were going to Columbia, South Carolina. That was the one that did her in. She, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's a hundred mile. Yeah. You were yeah. going across country. Yeah. Yeah. So, you spent time with APAC, and then tell us about Concrete Supply. What led you to join Concrete Supply? Before before you tell us that, what is give give our listeners the scope of Concrete Supply. What does Concrete Supply look like today? Uh, well, I'll tell you what we started with, and then I'll get to that. Okay. So when I started, we were we were fourteen plants in Charlotte. So Think of just Concord, Gastonia, and Charlotte, not really Mooresville, Statesville, not Rocky. Okay. So Monroe, Matthews, you know. And to give you some idea, we were doing about a million yards of concrete. And um, that was in 1998. And then through... um, 2022, I guess, all in with the scope of the businesses and the partnerships we have, um, it's about four million yards of, of business. So, you know, we had under 200 trucks. Now we got over 800 trucks. Um, you know, we had like 250 employees and I don't know, we're 1100 something now. Um, so it's 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 had quite a bit of growth. Um, the last and what does that footprint look like now, Landry? It's everywhere in the Carolinas, both north and south, with the exception of Wilmington and maybe Hilton Head. You know, if you count that as a metropolitan area, 
So, you know, anything that you would consider, like Columbia, Florence, Myrtle Beach, Charleston, the upstate, um, Asheville, uh, Greensboro, Raleigh, um, Pinehurst, uh, Goldsboro, you know, as you move east towards uh, Greenville and Wilson, um, those areas. That's incredible. Yeah. That's some significant growth. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been tough too. Very. We're gonna dig into that a little bit. I want I want to hear about that because you don't get to uh, you don't you don't have that much growth and get to the size that you are without experiencing some pains and learning some lessons and falling failing forward. Um, Henry, we um, we wanted to get ahead of this a little bit. We tried to, we wanted to find out how good of a job you guys were doing promoting your industry. So Bam Bam actually hit the streets today. And and he, yeah. 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 And so I think you've got- uh, That's the PK for us. No, 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 that was, we wanted to find out what people knew about concrete. Yeah. Hey, I'm Rusty, Bam Bam. Uh, we out here in a local home improvement warehouse box store uh, asking people uh, some questions about the construction industry. And this is what we found from folks out today. At first, we couldn't get anybody hey. to talk to hey. us. Hey. Now I can't hey. figure out why. What, what's your name, bud? Jarrell. Jarrell, I'm Rusty. I'm good. I got a couple questions I want to ask. Okay, number one, what is that? That is a concrete truck. Good. <laughs> a concrete truck? Hey, there you okay. go. Okay. You got two out of three there. Yeah. It, yeah. It, does, how often do people confuse concrete with cement, Henry? Uh, all the time. Does it just drive you nuts? Do you want to correct them every time? or do you No, just... I quit correcting them. Because <laughs> it happens so frequently. Yeah. Um, what what is shocking to me, and I don't want this to sound chauvinistic, but um, how many men don't understand concrete, and a lot of women don't, and and I get that because you know they make up a pretty small percentage of construction workforce, but how many men don't, and it just is ridiculous because you know the men are 90% of the workforce and they just don't get it. And, uh, the analogy I always use is it's concrete is the cake and cement is the flour, yep. you know? And so you're not going to eat flour, but you're going to eat the cake. You know, you can't stand on cement, but you can stand on concrete. Well, good for you for getting to a place in life where you didn't feel like you had to correct me. I still, my wife, she'll say, oh, look, there's that cement truck with, yeah. and I'll say, baby, it's concrete. Whatever, shut up. You know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, everybody did, everybody used it because of bagged cement. Yeah. And they viewed that they were getting, in, a, in essence, concrete in a bag. Right, and, but it had cement written on the outside. So I, you know, I can get this. You got, you got another one. I got, I got some more. What is the most common used construction material? Concrete. Concrete. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, okay. 400. Oh, material. Yeah. Concrete. Good one. Yeah. Yep. That part. She's on it. She's on it. Yep. Terrell's struggling a little bit. Yeah, Terrell is. Uh, he's a little bit rough, but he's he did good, man. I tell you what, he uh, he did good. I appreciate yeah. that. Okay. Concrete is the most commonly used material. Yeah, construction water. Wow. Yeah. All right. This is. I think this might be my favorite because I bet this did blow some some minds. One more. Yeah. Really I've never seen that before. Oh, That's a concrete pump. Concrete pump? Yeah. When do you think reinforced concrete was invented? Reinforced with steel? Yeah. What year? Give me a year. Give me a good guess. Oh, it was 1850. Oh, okay. Wow. You did Florida. good. That's it. That's oh, that's all it? Got. All right. Thank you. Right. So, look, you're doing a good job. Uh, there's a few people there that still need an education on concrete, but overall, oh, y'all done. I think, yeah. It, the, the hardest part, though, was really just finding somebody who will interact with me. Yeah. I, think, I think we solved that problem, yeah, though. Yeah, I think we asked. I, I, I started, the lady went with us, Deja. She uh, helped out tremendously. Uh, she I finally went up to her, and I said, look, this face ain't getting it. <laughs> we'll need you. To start approaching pretty face. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to think about it. If you're in a parking lot, you're going into Lowe's, you're probably not happy anyway. So I, I went, uh, I started approaching people out there, and um, they were like, you know, real standoffish about it. Finally, we got, like, we talked to probably seven or eight people. Probably five of them. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Here, hit that one, one time. And then, so, Henry, I love how you walked in this thing, you looked up at the screen, and you said, wait a minute, this is how not to be a leader. <laughs> why you? Yeah, it's still why I'm here. <laughs> so the concept on this thing was we went out to our listeners and our team said, what do you want to hear? You know, we gave them all these different topics. Bam Bam and I came up with a bunch of different things, and they said, we want to hear leadership. We want to hear from strong leaders. And so we thought we're going to tackle this subject um, that seems to be pretty popular nowadays in a different manner. Instead of coming to you and telling you, here are the steps to take to be a great leader, we want to take great leaders and talk about things that they've experienced throughout their career that weren't great leadership tactics that you should avoid. What things you should avoid if you want to be a great leader? And so as you think about think about your time at APAC, think about your time uh, even in your own career, have you benefited or has your leadership style been impacted by seeing leadership done the wrong way? Uh, yeah. Um, it's kind of been varied. I, I would say I, there's been experiences where, you know, you've, you've got the – I don't know, the dictatorial, by God, shove it down your throats. Yep. Um, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. And when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't really recognize it like I do today. And I think some of that was born out of the fact that, you know, my dad was a military guy and it was a pretty top-down approach, you know, do it this way and, you know, don't deviate. And 
and by the way, don't ask questions, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and so, and in, in, in my career at AIMPAC, there was some of that, not, I, I think APAC was unique in a sense in that you could be marginally successful and they would keep that sort of leadership or characteristics of an individual and, um, and they wouldn't challenge them because most businesses are so focused on success that they're not necessarily focused on how they achieve success. All right. It's more about the bottom line, not necessarily how I got the bottom. Nowadays, and then that's not to say success isn't there, but nowadays I think companies are focused or should be focused on not only am I being successful, but how I became successful. And if you look at the how and the why, then you're going to start to see these variants of differing leadership. And, um, and in APAC, you know, in hindsight, you look back on it and you say, man, you know, this guy was a jerk, but he was remarkably successful and remarkably well-respected, but it was only because they had success. But, you know, back then you didn't churn people like you're doing today. <laughs> the, they have so many different opportunities to to change jobs, change roles, change careers. And a lot of people sort of stayed with it because they didn't have those opportunities. And the benefit to the work environment is if you're really difficult on people, you're just not going to have them, you know? And, and I didn't recognize that early on. I mean, it probably, and in fact, I would say I didn't recognize it until I came to concrete supply and the, the, predecessors before me um, were just remarkable people. And I realized that, you know, you just didn't have to be a jerk in order to be successful, you know. And the other thing that I, I learned is, and this is probably equally important, more important, you don't have, everything's not a competition inside your organization. And you don't have to be successful at the expense of somebody else's success. If you promote that success, you're going to be successful on your own. And the more people in your organization that are successful, the better off you're going to be. You know, and I didn't really learn that because at APAC, it was almost... I won't say it was militaristic, but it was almost your success has to be at somebody else's expense. And I didn't necessarily like that. And I was always kind of the outsider. Um, I remember when they were telling me one time that I was going to go to Northern Virginia. It was right when I went to supply. And then I'm going to Northern Virginia, then you're going to Florida, and then you're going to the home office in Atlanta, the corporate office. And I just remember on the ride home, after that conversation that I thought there isn't anybody happy at the corporate office. Why do I want to be there? Yeah. I don't want to go anywhere near that place. And that helped solidify the decision to come to supply. 
And you thought that was what you were working towards. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I just remember thinking, that's where all the successful people in the organization are. But when you go there, all the employees are just disenfranchised, unhappy. And, Miserable. Yeah. 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 And they just, you know, it's like they're just pissed at the world. I mean, they go home and kick the dog for no reason. Henry, that's interesting. So, you know, my dad worked for APAC. Yeah. And this isn't an APAC bashing session. I do think it was it was more characteristic of the industry back in the day. No, no, no. It you, was. And, 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 but to your point, I mean, there was a there was a very that mindset of your next paycheck's gonna be in Alabama. Yeah. That was it. It that was, was it. you don't ask why. Yeah. You don't ask how. You just do. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's kinda like the what was the thing in uh, Animal House? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, I, you know, I mean, I'm not bashing APAC. They they exposed me to a lot. Um, they, I think, in many respects, they were brilliant in what they did. Um, and, I mean, they were so good that somebody like Old Castle wanted them. You know, um, you, you know, you don't at that at that size of business, you're buying the successful operation. You're not buying an unsuccessful operation. So they were wildly successful. I just think under different approaches, they might have been more successful or had been more attractive to an alternative buyer. You know, uh, if they ultimately, if Ashland the parent ultimately wanted out uh, but I wouldn't have traded the career experiences and I think that's what that's what I want our listeners to hear is that even though there were things looking back on that time of your career that weren't good you learned from that oh yeah I mean the bad leaders the the bad leadership styles that helped make you the leader that you are today I remember I won't say who the companies were, but we were in a bid letting one time. And it, back in the day, you used to go to the hotel in Raleigh or, you know, back then Montgomery, Alabama, you know, wherever the state capital was. And all the contractors would get there and be preparing their bids and all the material guys would come take a quote or come deliver a quote. And um, I remember the being in the room and, and it wasn't our division, but it was a guy that was running another division. He was division president, and and it was down east. And um, anyways, he he uh, was just beating the material supplier up over twenty five cents. And and I'm thinking, and I'm sitting over there with the regional vice president, and this is just what struck me because we were all on this large like sweet and they were over off to the corner and we were sitting over kind of by the, they had a little kitchenette thing there, a table. And we were talking about something and the regional vice president never stopped his conversation with me. And so I'm listening to him and I'm listening to this other guy just berate this material sales and for a quarter and I'm doing the math in my head that this was a 25,000 Twenty-five thousand dollars. It was a hundred, little over a hundred thousand tons of asphalt. So it was twenty-five thousand dollars on 
what amounted to about a $4 million bid. Insignificant. In, insignificant. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're not that good at estimating that you've already screwed up. <laughs> and this you're trying to make this guy cover it for you. And he's quoting you the market price, you know, Bob. What frustrated me was the fact that the regional vice president in our organization who was responsible for, you know, eight divisions never said a word. Never got up, never said a word. And that was, I was embarrassed. Do you still think about that as you oh, go into, because I mean, you have to have some of those meetings. I'm sure you have to have those meetings all the time. And this is, it's rarely good news that's coming. In. No, it has. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, it's, it's like rapid fire. Um, I mean, you know, COVID, COVID changed a number of things in our industry. Um, culturally and operationally and it impacted everybody you know and and so if you, i mean you can't i can't fault necessarily it's not i don't think it's an issue that the cement guys are doing two increases a year or now the aggregate guys you know if you see situations where they're literally sold out they can't sell and produce another ton with the equipment they have or the personnel that they have. And it's not like anybody has excess personnel today. And so, you know, the cost of doing business is rising much more rapidly. And I think it'll settle down in the next 12 to 18 months, but it's risen much more rapidly just due to the sheer infrastructure and the loss of logistics and the loss of capacity to produce. And I mean, we're faced with that, you know, um, I, 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 you know, there's only so much, my plants can produce all the concrete in the world. It's getting it to the job. You know, if I don't have drivers, you know, we don't have a business. Yeah. I think that's been the case across the board over the road stuff. Yeah. It has been, yep. it's been very difficult, you know, and, and much like you guys are doing, I mean, we're, we're creating drivers we're taking people that never even contemplated it and teaching them to earn their cdl getting them through those classes getting them certified getting them through our driver training you know which i mean i don't know how long yours goes but i mean it could be it could be eight weeks wow of driver training you know um and and we want to be successful um but they're also you know, much like the whole industry in construction, they're they're just bombarded with come to work over here, go to work for Amazon. Sure, go to work for. They got options. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, I give you a perfect example. We were on a Walmart distribution project, and as you went into the project, there was a sign <laughs> plastered at the front gate where every person that went on that job site went through and they were advertising for drive video drive so it was there, there you are trying to build yeah, a place to build the place <laughs> but the construction crews had the same problem because they had cdo guys yes they had low boy guys their distributor you know they, they had all of them and we're in the same boat and we start losing people and now the, the contractor's coming back to us saying you're not hitting the schedule well 
I can't hit the schedule if you keep taking the people away. Take the sign back. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And it was just so difficult for them to understand that. We've had to adapt. Our industry's had to adapt. And we're learning that the, the folks that we're needing to do the work that we're doing, they have value at these other places too. And if we don't treat them the way that they need to be treated, which is what I'm hearing from you, Henry, when you talk about how not to be a leader, be a jerk, right? Be a jerk, treat people bad, and you'll find out real quick how how long they're going to stick around. They're going to leave. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, we would, you look at how we operate today versus 1998, it is mad. Yeah. It is. One of the things, and I want to talk about this a little bit, um, one of the things I've always admired about you is that I consider you a very strategic leader. Um, you know, you've got people that are crisis managers or crisis leaders or tactical, but to me, I've always seen you, when you're thinking about the business, you're thinking years out in front of it. You, you, well, yeah. Would you consider yourself a strategic leader? I, n I never thought of it that way. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, crisis issues are always the present. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and we do have people that deal with a lot of present day issues. Not that I don't. Um, but that's what they're acutely focused on. So you're right. I, I have tended to be more, you know, what does it look like in 10 years? And, and, you know, what does the organization need in order to go from here to there? You know, what's the personnel change? What's the skill sets that we may or may not possess? Um, and, so I do, I, I, I do spend quite a bit of time thinking about that, you know? Yeah. And a lot, a lot of time it's laying on the bed or something. Um, well, that's, my that's. employees will say I never sleep because I'll send an email out at 2 a.m. or I'll answer a text at 3 a.m. or pick up the phone. But, you know, I'm 58 or 57, I guess 57. And I, you know, the one thing about getting older is you go to the bathroom more frequently about <laughs> So, amen. Exactly. So, <laughs> I got to use the phone so I don't trip. So, you're texting on you on your way to the Exactly. I, I get in there and I oh, wait. <laughs> or I'm thinking about something, so I'll, I'll answer it or I'll send it. And it's not that I'm expecting a response. In fact, I tell them all the time, I'm not looking for a response at 3 a.m. I, I need to do that in order so I don't forget about it because yep. I don't have something to write it down with. I mean, I tried the pen, the pen and the pad next to the bed. And I'll knock it off, or you know. just don't look at it when yeah. you get up. And, yeah, not. I, I got a question, but I want to go back to to basically what you were talking about earlier. Um, mistreating people. Um, I feel like probably we learn from watching other people lead in those ways. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that's that's a fair assumption? Um. Yeah, you just you just feel you know you need to get the job done, and I, I think you uh, you got to find that sweet spot. Can you tell us where that where you think that sweet spot is between need to get the job done, but I also want to treat people like people. Yeah, um, hugging and spanking, hugging and spanking, exactly. It is. Uh, 
islands. I'll give you an example. Uh, we we did in 2013. We brought in uh, the Semex assets in the Carolinas into our business, and we the, the week before we did the wholesome assets, and then you fast forward from September to like October or maybe November, something like that of that same year. So we're only like 60 days married. And we had an employee at one of the newly acquired plants that got into what was reported to us, got into an argument with a city inspector. And so it, it comes to, you know, the, the sort of the, the powers that be inside the organization come and said, Hey, we got a problem. We got a driver who's just, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but got went berserk, started yelling at the inspector, blah, blah, blah. And we need to terminate him, you know, because we're not going to treat our customers and we're not going to treat the, the inspectors that way. And we teach them to sort of those skills or at least the characterization of it. And... My first reaction, because I had literally four people come and say, we all agree we need to terminate this guy. And I I, I remember this because I sat there and I said, well, what did the driver say? And they all looked at me. And it was sort of this awakening. They never spoke to me. Nobody talked to the driver? No. And I said, wow. you can't do anything until you talk. Let's hear his version of events. So we go talk to him, and obviously he's got a very different take on what just took place. And they come back to me, and now we've got what the inspector said, and we've got what the driver said. And it was a very good customer of ours, and I said, go talk to the customer. Their crews were out there. Somebody was finishing this concrete and just see what their view of the world was. So we go to the customer and the customer says, well, it was a sub. So we go to the sub and, well, it was another sub. So it was a sub of a sub. We finally track these guys down. They don't speak English real well. So we take our dispatch, one of our dispatch folks who does speak Spanish fluently and said, let's have this conversation. So this had taken almost three weeks at this point. And we had this conversation, and the finisher said, basically, the superintendent was wrong, and he should have never done what he did, and the driver did not do what the superintendent said he did or the inspector said. Wow. And I use that all the time, that example, all the time with our leadership and our managers. And it's not, look, look, I mean, we have, we all make mistakes and we have employees that make mistakes, but you can't make a decision with half the facts and you can't make a decision that's biased. And I'm always trying to tell them, take the biases out, take the limited facts out and get the whole picture, you know? And, 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 and I, I still believe, and I don't know this to be factual, but I do believe that individuals still works. And so that's 13 years later, 10 years later, at least. Right. Uh, but we were, by God, we're going to fire him. Yeah. Because the customer said he did this. 
and it really wasn't the customer. It was the city inspector. That's good. That's a great example. Yeah. Yes. But isn't it amazing how fast it gets to that point? Oh, yeah. There was I mean, plenty. In, in they, 24 hours, we were going to terminate this guy. That's, yeah. You know. That's unfortunate. And, but now I think those guys, I, I, I know they do. They're, you know, it, when I came to Concrete Supply, it was like, you know, nobody ever gets fired unless you steal or something. And, um, and that's pretty much the way it is now. I mean, you know, there are performance issues and if there's performance gaps. The thing I always strive to make our managers understand is nobody should ever be surprised that they were we're going to part ways. I, absolutely, yeah. Because it, that tells me you're not communicating mm -hmm. with them. You're not having, and they have difficult conversations, right? So, but you're not having that conversation, and you're not documenting and clearly communicating what the expectations. And you're not giving them a chance to exactly. fix it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, by and large, our guys do a fantastic job. Uh, uh, you know, do we have what I what I affectionately term problem children? Absolutely. But are we doing the things? You know, do they have the the, the appropriate, correct training, the correct guidance, the correct mentoring? If we've done all those things and they still don't want to do it, well, then they don't want to be here. So let's solve their pain and discomfort in ours, you know. But we got to do those things. And that's the difference. That's yeah. the difference between leading today and what we've experienced oh, yeah. growing up is that you got to stop and look in the mirror first. Exactly. And say, hey, have we done everything that we can do? Have I done everything I could do, you know? Yeah, um, yeah that's, you know, it's been difficult, right? Because that's a... I, I used to complain, we're like, before, I think we're better at it, but before we were like the Exxon Valdez, you know, it took 200 miles to turn. Yes, that, and, you know. and now we can turn much faster. It. Um, but, you know, it hadn't been without some pain. Henry, we, uh, our team was excited that when they found out you were going to be in the studio today. So we had a couple of our ladies in our team development group, they had a question so would you be open to taking yeah. a question from from the team i think uh we got a couple here hi henry my name is andrea rydland and i am the training and curriculum specialist here at food Pot grading company my question for you is on a daily basis how do you motivate your team to work toward your strategic vision So the question is, how do you motivate your team to work towards your strategic vision? Um, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> so I think, I think, I guess the question ought to be geared to them, but um, I think they have the freedom to function in their rules appropriately um you know i'm not i don't consider myself a micromanager however i think one would my style is a little different i guess in that if they're performing their roles i'd by and large stay out of the way if they're having difficulty then i'm much more intimate with them and their thought processes and their decision making we do do strategic planning we're actually due to do that again 
Um, we had one about three years ago or right, certainly right before COVID. And, um, we do talk about sort of strategic items. Um, you know, our entire leadership team participates in our board meeting. I don't just do it. When I started with Concrete Supply, there was one person that went to the board meeting. And when when we took over, when I, I took over, we were still kind of small. We were struggling. And I, I was literally doing two jobs at one time. Um, when when we started to, to reemerge from the 08 to 012 or 2012 construction malaise, uh, I was like, let's start really changing the dynamic of our board meetings. Let's change how we approach these things. And so now, um, you know, for example, our sales update, I have our sales team prepare that. Our operations update, our operations team prepares that. Our uh, safety update, our HR safety team prepares that. Our financial update, our um, and there's not, it's not like there's a huge group of people, but there's people that prepare that based on the input from the others. Whereas before it was always put this in, put this in, put this in. And so now we're collectively providing that, that update and we hit the, the targets. I mean, we, you know, everybody measures their business and we measure targets and we measure financial performance and operational performance and all those things. But those guys get up and talk about where they are, why they're not there, what's prohibiting that, you know, cause I tell them, tell them the truth, tell them the challenges that you're facing. And frankly, the reality is as much as I like to think I'm, I'm intelligent, I don't have all the answers and, and that's hard to admit, but the reality is I don't. And so what I want to do is try to surround myself with enough people that can have enough creative thought that we can arrive at the best answer, you know? And, and so that's how we do this kind of strategically, I guess. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to take credit. Um, but the reality is there's a team of people that do this and make us successful. It's not just me. I love that answer, Henry. And it, what, what you're talking about, I mean, the way that you're leading there and the way that you are empowering them is getting buy-in. You're getting buy-in from the team. So it's no longer your plan. It's no longer your strategy. It's their strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, we write a, we do a, a written narrative of, a, of here's what took place in the quarter. Here's what we're going to do going forward. Here's all these things. And I basically write it, but it's from their input. And then I send it back to them. And, and you know, for a while, I would send it to them, and, and I wouldn't get a lot of edits. And, and, and the reality is I'm a horrible writer, but they were just not sending me the corrections. And so I'm sending this out, you know, commas wrong or something's happened, and I use the wrong term or whatever. And finally, I'm like, look, I, you know, this needs to be us, not just me. And so give me your feedback. The second piece is it is by it. Okay. Our company should achieve X in performance. However you want to look at it, the industry benchmarks, just whatever. And 
they have to create the tactical steps that we're going to do to do that. And in order for them to create those, A, we got to agree, but secondly, they got to push them down, you know, and I want them to see that, that, okay, here's what we said we're going to do and here's how we said we're going to do it. So now you have to carry that message into your operations. Um, and I, and I think that's helpful. I mean, like I could, there's no way one person could run concrete spot. No, it's impossible. Yeah. But you've empowered them. And you know, I was thinking back to your question, how do you balance that discipline versus the inspiration piece of it? Um, I mean, that style right there does just that. You have empowered your leaders to lead and you've given them the freedom to lead, but to do that, you've got to set clear expectations on what the role is and what's expected out of that role. And then if you do that, you can step back and allow them to do Yeah, lead from the back. Lead from the back. Push. Well, I kind of like to think, all right, let me get out ahead of them. Yeah. You know, because you think about it and you're like, well, I got 1,100 people. That's, you know, we average probably four. That's 4,400 people. Yeah. Don't screw this up, you know, because it's, I mean, what I worry about is the guy that's got, you know, five kids at home. Your life doesn't work because he's got five kids at home. Are we creating enough value that he can live a comfortable life and, you know, and see? Because that, that, that's the responsibility I see. I mean, I, I have a responsibility to shareholders, and I get that. But I can't do that piece if I don't make sure the employees have opportunity. Exactly. You know, because I'll never be successful on the other side. Yeah. I, I think... To you know, to what you said there, I think you know. Sometimes we we have to get out in front. We have to pull them. And then sometimes we have to go to the back and let them run a little bit. They circle back around, get out in front, and say, "Hey, y'all, come on." And what's yeah. interesting is nothing ever gets corrected as fast as you think it should, right? But the the reality is, I'm not always the one in the middle of correcting, you know. And you got to do it in some room to do it in a way that gets you where you need to be. You know, there's, I mean, there's many roads to success and they don't necessarily take the road I would take. You got another question? Should, uh, I think, I think we do. Yeah. Yeah, one more. Advice for the new leader. Um, It's easy to say this, but it's easier to say it than it is to actually live it. But don't be so preoccupied with failure and making mistakes. Now, I could argue the little mistakes don't really teach you anything. It's the big mistakes thing. And the big mistakes are typically the costly ones. Um, but they could be big in the outcome, and I'll give you an example. Um, if we were producing concrete and we somehow got something contaminated, fly ash went in the cement silo, and we sent that concrete out, it's clearly not going to meet specifications. It's clearly not going to perform as expected. And 
the mistake is it's a hundred yards. Okay. And the hundred yards might be, you know, worth $15,000 or something. I don't know the economics of it, but if you don't deal with it, with the customer and you lose the customer, that becomes huge. Can I tell our guys all the time, I'm not necessarily afraid of the mistake. I'm afraid of the response. Our organization, and, and I learned this from my predecessor, Ledford, Ray Ledford, our organization is strictly, we have six values. The first one's integrity, and we subscribe to that. And, 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 and I say all the time, if we know of something, it is our obligation to tell the customer, no matter how bad it is. I mean, we've torn out decks, parking decks, because of screw-ups we made. And then it is expensive. But they're also, you know, you can't take every failure and just say, well, I just screwed up. I'll do better next time. The reality is every time you fail, you should take a step up in learning and a step up in capability because you should be able to correct that. And I, I try to push our guys to understand that and recognize that. And, I, you know, I also say all the time, I want to sleep at night. So I want to know that you understand your job and that you're paying attention to the details. You know, That's good advice. Yeah. Fail forward. Exactly. There it is. Henry, you have given us some some great stuff here. You know, the idea on this was to to talk about leadership and to showcase great leaders in the industry, but to to help people understand what things to avoid. Yeah. And so, just a few things that I've written down. It, it's my look at that. It's it's hard to imagine that you, anybody could read that. But uh, how not to be a leader? Be a jerk. Yeah. Uh, treat people like subordinates instead of teammates. Um, that, that's who it was. Gar Adam added or comment, if you want to make a million dollars in the NASCAR industry, start with five. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But I mean, that's like our, I mean, just, just like any business, you know, if you want to, if you truly want to be successful, you got to recognize the characteristics and the contributions of others. Then if you don't and you want to be a lone ranger, then. Yeah, that makes sense. How not to be a good leader. Uh, put your own success above that of the team. Um, don't have a plan. Don't operate under a plan. Operate. Uh, well, you can be successful sometimes, I guess. But is that short term? <laughs> yeah, I think long term. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna carry a company. Uh, for the next 25, 50 years, like it's, that's only going to work for so long. Um, people, you know, and, and, and I, I keep saying that to our team, our, our number one responsibility is development of people. If we're not, then we're not going to be here. It, it, yeah. And that's strategic. You're not going to see those benefits for five, 10 years now. Or when you're gone. Yeah. Hey, you got to train your replacement. Yeah, 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 or you got to grow them, find them, develop them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how not to be a good leader? Make decisions without all the facts. 
And then finally, the one that I love, if you don't, if you want to be a bad leader, fail backwards. <laughs> Let your fail, failures uh, paralyze you. Yeah. Henry, that's great stuff. That's uh appreciate you coming out and sharing a little bit of that with us today. Bam Bam, you got anything else? I am good, man. I appreciate you coming out. It was great. You ain't going to Lowe's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let your team know if they see Bam Bam in the parking lot. Run, run. (laughs) He's harmless. Yeah, he's harmless. Henry, we look forward to seeing uh, all the success from Concrete Supply. I appreciate you being with us and sharing a little bit with us today. And uh, thanks for being on the Give Us the Dirt podcast. (laughs) 